This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome four-time PGA Tour winner Steve Flesh to the Sub-70 Podcast. Uh, Steve, thanks for taking the time today. Greatly appreciate it. Jason, glad to be here with you. Well, you are out in Des Moines, Iowa this week, not that far from us, at the uh, Principal Charity Classic. I know there's been a ton of rain, which has kind of been here all season, but uh, how's your game feeling? How does the Wakanda Golf Club out there set up for you, and um, you know, what's your outlook for the week? Well, my game's rounding into shape. I'm playing better. Um, I had some surgery at the end of last year. Had to basically skip the last uh, quarter of the year um, to get uh, a couple discs replaced and a plate and some screws put in. So I'm the bionic man now. But um, with that comes just kind of a, you know, a tentative recovery. It's about three months after I was able to start hitting some balls and kind of get my game going again around Christmas time. Um, this year's been a little slow. Uh, I've got a couple good finishes, but as of late, I'm playing a little bit better. Um, you know, it's, I always like playing Des Moines. It was my first, uh, top five finish on tour, uh, on the champions tour. A couple years ago, I finished fifth. Uh, it's a lot of fun to play. Reminds me a lot of the course I grew up uh, at in Kentucky, Summit Hills Country Club. Very, very hilly, a lot of side hill lies, uh, perched up greens, kind of some quirky holes, but fun to play. And you have the opportunity to really shoot a low score. So um, let's hope Wakanda can dry out a little bit this week. They've been plagued with the rain thus far this week that we've had all year. And I'm sure, um, you know, everybody out there is working their tails off to get it ready. But you know, it's a lot of rain to kind of work around, and the course plays best when it's firm and fast, but even if it's soft, there's so much undulation, I'm sure it'll dry out well. When you go through an injury like that in your 50s, the the comeback from that, the have, the rehab, the working out, all that stuff, is it is it about what you expected, or was that a tough one to come back from to try to get on form to play at the level that those guys and your competitors play on on the Champions Tour? So, you know, I'm assuming you don't want to go out there and be at eight. You can't be out there at 85%. It's not going to work. I mean, for you to get fully back, and like you said, you're kind of rounded into form, Is that a was that a tough one to get over at this point, or did the rehab go kind of as expected? Uh, I, You know, I, I think the, the relative part of it is, I I feel so much better now than before the injury. I mean, I was in so much pain and taking these hydrocodone and Lyrica and all these strong medicines just to kind of get up and get going and play each day that I was like a zombie my last, you know, for, for example, my last uh, real event I played was um, Calgary and I had the great Pete Bender on my bag who caddied for Greg Norman for years and yeah. a bunch of great players and, and I'm on the course and I'm taking, you know, we're on like the fourth hole and I'm like reaching the bag and I'm taking hydrocodone and Lyrica. And he's like, how many of those can you take a day? And I'm like, as many as it takes right now, just to get me to the next week, which was September to have the surgery. But, you know, I was, I was just, I was playing the senior British open at St. Andrews in a fog, 
you know, it's the best place in the world to play golf. And I don't even remember like the next day, kind of what I shot the day before, because it was just about pain management. So the recovery has been great. I woke up out of surgery with no pain and very little numbness uh, in my left hand, which was, you know, just as big a problem as the pain in, in uh, my left shoulder and neck. But um, I think the the toughest thing is I still feel 15 at heart and mentally. I still feel like a kid. And when your body at 50 doesn't recover as quickly as it used to, it's hard to get, it's, it's hard to get used to that because I used to, you know, just walk to the first tee and take two practice swings and rip it. And now it's, I'm about back to that point, thankfully. But at first it was like, I needed a full 35, 40 minute warm up, And, and honestly, I hate hitting balls. So uh, that was kind of like, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want to have to hit balls to warm up, but, uh, the recovery has been great. I'm very thankful that it went well, but, um, they say it's kind of a year from the surgery to you kind of know where you really are. And I'm September, first week of September is when I'll, when I'll be back to a year, but I feel great, full strength, full speed, really. I'm hitting it actually farther now than I was last year at this time. So all that's great, but there's still days, especially like today and in Des Moines, it's 60 degrees and kind of foggy and rainy where, you know, you don't, I don't think anybody feels great on a day like that, but um, when you got a plate in your neck, it's, it's a little harder to get loose. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it shows that golfers are athletes, right? The force you guys put on your body for that many years of swinging essentially that fast and hard, you know, there's most guys I talked to on the champions tour at some level are fighting some level of injury, right? It's, there's no one out there squeaky clean without, fighting a little bit of something. I think it's just a, it's a natural thing that happens when you play professionally for as long as you guys have played. Jason, my first champions tour event, um, was the P, uh, PGA senior at Trump's course two years ago in DC. It was funny cause I show up to play a practice round and I put my stuff in my locker and I look around and on the, the ledge right next to my locker, there is every painkiller anti-inflammatory <laughs> available. I mean, it's Aleve, Advil, Tylenol, bare aspirin. I mean, you you name it. There must have been a dozen of these things there. And I just got a chuckle because I said, you know, on the regular tour, it's all the supplements, the vitamins, everything sitting there. And on our tour, it's pain relievers. You know, it's just funny the the difference, but. Um, it, it's all relative. I know everybody's fighting something. Guys disappear out here for three or four months and it's because they, you know, they're, you know, fighting a, some sort of muscle strain or pull or, you know, usually it's backs or wrists out here that are bad and guys are fighting it. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think golf and especially your, your bodies are meant to twist and turn with such force for this many years. I think your back is meant to bend side to side and go and go front frontwards and backwards and your spine as well. I don't think it's meant to really rotate with such force and speed. And then in the middle of it, make impact with the ground. So, you know, I, I'm lucky that I've been able to play this long. I've always been relatively healthy, but you know, something's got to give. And I think it's also why you see so many guys, young guys, I mean, Jason day, for example, 
he they're injured because in Tiger they're injured because you're creating so much speed through the ball. You know, they're getting so strong in the gym and learning how to just maximize their club head speed. But the problem is it's like a it's like a race car. You gotta have brakes strong enough to stop that speed. And when you're creating speed that fast in your body, something's going to break down eventually. I don't care how strong you are. You know, you got to, if you're going to, if you can generate the speed, you better be able to stop it. And usually it's, it's the through swing speed where somebody's body is breaking down and, and, um, you know, it's just a function of the game. I think the champions tour could look completely different in like 20 years, right? Where these guys with this equipment swinging this hard, having health problems that you guys are having maybe in your fifties that they're having in their thirties. And with the purse size, it's going to be interesting to see, do those marquee players, Rory, Jason day, do they got anything left in the tank by that point when they do turn 50 or is the body going to be like, you know, so shot by early forties, but they've made such a great run that they don't need it anymore. And if they can't compete at the level they want to compete at and be healthy to do it, you're just not going to see them, you know, sort of IE Greg Norman. I, I think it's going to, I, I would imagine the landscape would look different compared to your generation. You know, my concern, Jason, is a little different from the fact that I think what, who you're going to see at 50, if, if the age is still 50, I mean, I, I kind of think that maybe in 15 years, the age might be lower because, um, it's so much harder to have a sustained career at the PGA Tour level into your 40s now. Um, there's so many great players. I mean, no, look no further than the NCAA championships that are going on this week in the last couple of years. I mean, these kids are great. And the web.com, the level of the, the play on the web.com tour is so high that you, I don't recognize a lot of new names on the PGA Tour because there's 25 new guys rolling out. But they're also playing for so much money. I think my concern would be, say, say, just say, for example, it's still 50. The age is still 50, you know, 15 years from now. These guys who've played the PGA Tour for that long have made so much money. Is there, it basically to me is going to boil down to, do they still have the desire to play competitive golf? Is it still in them? Because they're not, they don't need it financially, but, it, are they going to still have the drive to want to play? And, you know, I think that you saw that with Greg Norman and a little bit with Paul Azinger and some of the guys who you expected to play out here longer, they played at such a high level for so long. Nick Faldo as well. You know, do they still want to do it when they're 45, 50 years old? Because they've worked their tails off and they've had a great career. They're set financially. They may want to do other things in life. Do they still want to go through the grind of traveling 25 weeks a year and trying to be competitive? Because, you know, in my two years out here, believe me, the guys who are playing still want it just as bad as they did when they were 25. They're, they're hitting balls on the range. The level of play and the level of work is still up there like we're playing and competing you know, when we're first starting out our games and guys are good out here. It's, it's the level of play doesn't surprise me. Cause I know these are all great players that have moved on from their PGA tour careers, but the scores that are shot, you know, we don't play short courses. The pins are three, four from the edges. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It's kind of frustrating sometimes. Cause like, heck on it, man, I'm working hard, you know, and I'm playing good, but you know, I shot four or five under, but the lead's eight or nine, 
you know, it's it's amazing the level of play. But my biggest concern is is Rory. I mean, even Phil in a couple years, Tiger in seven years or eight years, you know, are they still going to want to play competitive golf when they've already made so much money? Do they want to still go through the grind to play for smaller purses and and compete? That's my biggest concern. Yeah, and or that and they're physically so injured to the point they can't compete right so you're going out there with five you know a five shooter versus a six shooter and they don't want to do that because it doesn't you know if they can't prepare and compete even though if they still have the desire but if their body is so shot by that point that's where i also can see players saying i just i I, if i can't be 100 percent committed to this and do it i don't want to do it and like you said they've made enough money at that point right and the golf continues to to make make them hurt, or they can't get better, and they don't feel great. Exactly right, Jason. And you know, it, it's I've it's, I've had three surgeries now. I had my neck, and I've had two two uh, right shoulder surgeries. Both of those were very easy. I didn't tear anything; just kind of cleaning up. But I think what you realize is you have a new hundred percent after every surgery. You know, you're never like my hundred percent at twenty five is now probably about 80% physically of what I used to be. So, you know, after my next surgery, I have a new 100%, which probably isn't as good as it was two years ago. But, you know, at some point, my 80% isn't going to stack up against Bernard Langer and those guys. You know, I, physically, I have to be at my top to beat those guys because they're so great competitively. But, you know, the other thing you got to think of is everybody goes through their injuries and their ups and downs. So, um you know, you have five or six really great great weeks a year, and that pretty much makes your year. So um, the biggest thing out here is it's fun. Everybody's rooting for each other, and, you know, we all get it that every day it's not going to be your best. And, and uh, you know, we, we realize that we're all wanting to, the same thing, and we all still want to play great golf. And, and the, the tight group of, knit group of guys out here, it's, it's just fun to compete with week in and week out. I'm going to ask you to put your analyst hat on of uh, last week's winner on the uh, Champions Tour, uh, Ken Tanagawa, of, of what he accomplished. Can you put some perspective to that, that he was playing a couple of years ago high-level amateur golf out in you know the Scottsdale-Phoenix area, and then now he's won arguably maybe the biggest tournament out there or one of them in conditions that that, that golf course looked like it was a major on the regular tour. Like, how hard or... The odds of him doing that to go from that level to the level you guys are at and then winning at the highest level, that's one hell of an accomplishment. It is. And, and some quick background with Ken, it, when I got out of college, I went over and played the Asian Tour for five years, and Ken was over there as well. And he was a heck of a player. I knew him from college. We played amateur golf against each other in the summer times. And he's a perfect example of what you see a lot on the web.com now phenomenal players who just never quite get the break or have the week that changes their career around. Um, You know, everybody can look back in their career and they say, you know, what's your greatest win? And um, I'm not, I don't want to make this about me, but like if I never won the Nike tour championship in 1997, I never would have gotten on tour. That's the biggest week of my life. It wasn't a Q school or a PGA tour win. It was that week, which everything went right and got me on tour. Um, And I stayed out there for 18 years, but Ken, for some reason or another, never probably had that week 
that changed his life. And he finally had to make a decision. Am I going to work or play or yeah. Am I going to work or play? And he's a, he's a perfect example of the guy who always had the game, but it just never quite worked out where he got the opportunity to play tour golf for years. If he had gotten on tour, he would have stayed forever because he's got such a great game, but he didn't get the break or had the week that, that got him out there. So to see him play this good does not surprise me one bit. Um, he was a phenomenal player in college and at the amateur level. And, um, you know, what, I don't know if he, you know, had a family or how that worked out where he made the decision to, to just play as an amateur. But his biggest, the thing that really amazes me about Ken is when you don't play like super competitive golf, and then you come out and get your tour card like you did through the Champions Tour qualifying. He just hit the ground running out here. And that's a testament to his ability because when you're out of competitive golf, man, it is nerve-wracking. You don't know how you're going to stack up. And he just jumped right in and started posting great scores. And to win last week at Oak Hill, which, as you said, was set up like a major championship on any tour. I mean, the fairways were narrow. That rough was thick and long. It was a tough test, plus the rain delays, and there was a lot of wind on the first two days. That's some great golf. I mean, he beat, you know, all the big names that we have to offer on the Champions Tour, but, you know, and he stood head-to-head with Paul Broadhurst and Scott McCarron coming down the stretch. It's just, I just think it's great, it, but it doesn't surprise me at all because for every, you know, Scott McCarron and, you know, uh, Paul Broadhurst out there, there are a lot of guys like Ken Kanagawa out there who never quite got that break to get on tour, but they're fantastic players. And when they get their foot in the door, he's learned to walk right through it. And, you know, that's great. He he won at Pebble Beach last year. He's now won at the, se- the senior PGA. Fantastic. It couldn't, be a, couldn't happen to a better guy, too. He's so humble, you'd never know uh, that he just won last week. He's He's a great guy for us to have on tour. Let's talk about another major championship coming up, the U.S. Open. I know you're going to be doing uh, work for Fox, as you normally do. Uh, what are you hearing on the golf course? What are you looking most forward to, to kind of, you know, putting your analyst hat on and bringing to the, the people watching the tournament? Um, I mean, one hell of a venue for a U.S. Open. Well, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot. We're getting a lot of emails and uh, a lot of articles from our uh, boss, Mark Loomis, who is our executive producer and put our whole group together just on background of previous U.S. Opens at Pebble Beach and the setup this year. I know they had media day out there last week, which I unfortunately missed. But uh, just hearing the, you know, how, how it's set up, I think you're going to see a very typical U.S. Open venue, narrow fairways, because it's, it's not a long golf course. It's just, you know, just 7,100 little, just shy of 7,100 long. But, um, narrow fairways, long rough. Uh, if the weather holds to where they haven't had a lot of rain, you know, those greens at Pebble are so small and so tilted that they play even smaller. So where your miss is, has got to be even more important. You got to drive the ball at the fairway. I think Pebble beach is like our St. Andrews here in the United States. It's, it's the venue that everybody looks forward to going and playing. I think covering it, um, for Fox this year, it's, it's just a privilege for me because, you know, Pebble Beach has produced nothing but great champions, and I can't wait to get out there. We're, we go to Tokyo next week for our for our Champions Tour event. We fly right back into San Francisco, and then I zip down there on Sunday, and 
I can't wait to get out. I was just talking with Curtis Strange yesterday. Uh, we're going to go walk the course on Monday morning and just see exactly how they have it set up. I know it's going to be narrower. Some of the tee boxes that I know they're going to use um, are some that nobody has seen uh, really in the AT&T that they play out there, you know, back way back on nine, uh, a new one back on 10, a little bit farther back, one back, a new one on 13. Um, you know, it, it, I have mixed emotions about just throwing new tee boxes in there just for the sake of adding length, but you know, it's, you see it with these kids nowadays, they all kill it. So you have to keep the course relative because everything, you know, the, the equipment, the ball and everything goes so far, but you know, it doesn't just because it's longer, doesn't diminish the shot values at Pebble beach. It's not about getting the same club in their hand this year that they had in, in, in 72 or, you know, previous years. To me, it's just the shot values at Pebble beach stand up to any major venue that, um, the U S open, plays anywhere shinnecock last year was phenomenal uh that course you know it's um one of my favorites of all time that was actually where my best u.s open finish was ever uh u.s opens were not my forte but uh, to cover it for fox this year at pebble beach i think our whole crew is really looking forward to it and and personally i hope it's they're getting back kind of the grassroots of a U, the u.s open feel where you know, it's it's not all about how far you hit it. It's going to be about, you know, accuracy off the tee and iron placement. Brooks Kepka, sure, he can he could he could still bomb it around there, but he's not going to be able to hit as many drivers. It's more of a placement type golf course than it is all about just bashing the driver out there. So Pebble's going to stand the test. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to win by 15 this year like Tiger did previously, but, you know, I think that venue stands up to any. I think it's exciting because you could fairly predict in the PGA Championship with those conditions at Bethpage the type of player that was going to win, right? And no question. proved out. No this question. one is wide open for the U.S. Open, right? You got Kevin Na playing great, who could legitimately win this, and Brooks Kepka could win this. So I love the fact that there is a wide variety of skills that could be uh, on display for this U.S. Open. It's not going to be, you know pick these seven guys and, you know, that's who's going to win this thing. I I love it that, you know, you've got medium length hitters and long hitters and they're all going to have to kind of think their way around that track. I I love the idea of it. Well, Jason, you know, I was thinking about this last night because I knew we were going to be talking about Pebble today. And, and, you know, I know the USGA is catching a lot of flack and, and they're trying, I don't know if it's a template they're kind of trying to have for how to set up the U S open. But to me, you know, like, like Beth Page, um, to me, like you said, only one type of player was going to succeed at Beth Page. You had, I mean, when you play a course that long with that kind of rough, the shorter hitters, you can't get the ball as close to the hole with five irons as you can a wedge. Now, Pebble Beach, I think, I guess what I'm saying is, I think there's like a ma- an ideal length to set up courses where you give more than 25 people a chance or, you know, it's probably less than that 15 people a chance to win the golf tournament. I I think if you set up, you know, at 7,500, you're pretty much eliminating 7,400, you're eliminating, you know, shoot 50% of the field. But if you set it up at 7,200 or a little less with the rough, you know, where firm greens, you, you, you require accuracy, you know, make guys, 
make choices on the tee. Am I going to bomb it down there? And if I hit it in the rough, I'm not going to be able to stop it on a short green, or am I going to try and put it in the fairway with a lesser club? You know, and even if the shorter hitters have to hit driver, but the longer hitters, you know, hit an iron out there to be in the fairway. Pebble Beach is the kind of venue at 7,100 where it allows way more people a chance to win, like you said. So to me, that's way more exciting than to just play it so long that you eliminate everyone, you know, which we saw at Aaron Hills. And, and, you know, that was super long, but the fairways were so wide that it really, you know, it wasn't that interesting. But I think if we, you know, going to come into Wingfoot here in, in, you know, soon and, and um, Pebble Beach this year, I think we'll see kind of where the USGA is in their, in their evaluation of their setups. But Pebble Beach this year, I think, provides everyone with the most opportunity to win the National Open. When you're out there doing the coverage, do you enjoy being in the tower more where you can kind of call the action, or do you like being on the ground with a group and then, you know, giving your take to the listeners of, because you're a tour player, of what you're seeing when you're sort of on the ground level with them? It's two totally different jobs. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure the viewers are super educated to where they, they realize the guy on the ground is doing something different than the guy in the tower. Yeah. But, you know, it, uh, when you're in the tower, uh, which I was for Chambers Bay, I was on 16. And, you know, just because you're on 16, you still have four other holes that you take that you're doing coverage on. Like I had four and eight and 12 and 16. Um, you know, and I'm looking at a monitor there and you kind of have to really know a little background on everybody in the field, say 156 guys, because my job is to set up the guy uh, who's coming on and throw it down to the guy on the ground. And after the guy on the ground is hit, I wrap it back, or after the guy on the ground is kind of given the background of the shot, I wrap it back up and throw it to the to the next hole or the next shot, wherever we're going. But I don't really comment on anything, but maybe the result of the shot at times. Um, but I need some I need some background on them, like something about Jason Day, other than what you just Google. You know, because anybody can, you know, you, there's only so much you can say about you know, Jason day that we don't already know. So you kind of have to have your ears open all week about everybody in the field and, and have some background. But when you're on the ground, really your job is just to set up the shot, like read the lie, say, and what they're going to face that the viewer can't already see. Um, which I think it's easy to say, you know, a guy's got 186 and he's hitting a seven iron. Well, anybody can do that. But my job is to say, you know, right you know the, the right bunker here is not you know he he needs to play away from that the wind's out of what direction what kind of shot he's got to execute to get the ball close to the hole or even on the green and I think like at Pebble this year there's so much of that that the viewer can't really see obviously you don't want to hit it in a bunker or this or that but how's he going to read the lie how far he has and what kind of shot he needs to hit to make it work but I only have about 15 seconds to do that because once the shot is struck I'm basically radio silent. That's when Paul Azinger, our lead analyst, comes in and analyzes it and, and talks about the results or how he executed it. Unless he asks me a question, I kind of have like 15 seconds to kind of say what's going on. So on the course, yes, it's more fun because you're right in the game and you're seeing what's going on. But at the same time, you could walk around out there for 30, 40 minutes and not say anything because maybe – the guy, the groups you're with stink at the time, or they're not playing any good, or, or, 
you know, shots are on tape because you were at commercial. So it's different challenges, but on the ground is, is I would say it's less work, but it's just, you know, if it's really hot, it's not that fun of work, but, <laughs> um, but the tower is kind of nice and comfy, but you have to have a lot more information at your fin- fingertips in the tower. But I prefer the ground because you're kind of in the game and you, you're right in the crowd and there's more of a buzz about everything out there. How tough is it at times still being a current player to be able to, because you don't want to throw anybody under the bus, right? We, I mean, you guys hit bad golf shots, you know, good amateurs hit bad golf shots. But, I mean, sometimes you might have to be critical of somebody, maybe of a decision or something to that extent. Yet you're still, you know, an active player. Is that a, is that a fine line you kind of have to walk? Well, it is. And I, don't, I think you don't have to look much further than Brandel. You know, the trouble he kind of gets himself in sometimes at the Golf Channel. But, you know, I, I, the one thing I really respect about, you know, like Brandel is that he's honest. And since he's a player, he kind of knows. And and what, you walk a fine line, but at the same time, if you are if you make a fair assessment, like, if you know, if a guy's 100, 140 yards and there's not much wind and he hits it 25 feet with a pitching wedge, and you say, you know, that's re- that really wasn't a very good shot or he didn't execute that very well, I think if you ask him, he would honestly say, you know what, it wasn't. It, you know, but sometimes the viewers just, if you say anything negative, they, they think you're being too harsh, but you know, it, at that level, these are the best in the world. It's like critiquing a guy for missing a free throw in, in basketball in the NBA or, you know, in college. I mean, you know, those are, they're easy shots and, and those guys should miss them. And, and at our level if you know, you're going to hit bad shots all day long, but you know, if you're just fair and you're not like overly critical, I mean, if I'm, I'm comfortable saying what I think I would say to their face, like, you know, to where we could have a discussion about it. I wouldn't say, God, you, that was awful. You know, um, a guy to their face if they hit it 25 feet. Well, I mean, it isn't awful, but relatively speaking at the tour level, he would say it's not very good either. Cause we yeah. all expect pretty much perfection, but I'm never really too overly critical, but I, you know, I will, I, I'm certainly not, um, not harsh to the point where, it, it's offensive. I, I, I'm, believe me, I'm harder on myself probably than anybody, you know, I, you can't, there's no way to measure it, but in the history of the game, I mean, I'm sometimes when I'm hitting it poorly, I mean, nothing's good, you know, and I'm, I'm so overly critical of myself that it's, you know, people would cringe, but I would never like say something like that on a telecast, but I, I'm not afraid to say, you know, that really wasn't a very good shot or, or I'll say something like, you know, I think just his thought process there you know put enough doubt in his head where he wasn't fully committed to the shot i mean that's that's the nicest way of saying that wasn't a good shot right but you know i i actually look forward i think one day there should be like a you know how you have like the the home court feed in the ncaa for basketball events where you hear the home the like the hometown announcers on like espn2 or espnu feed you know versus like the cbs feed i think it'd be fun to have like like a cable channel where you just have guys in there there who are overly critical and overly brutal about everything, (laughs) you know, just because I think it'd be funny because, you know, it's, it's not, it's about being vindictive. It's just like what a lot of people actually think in their head, like God, that, you know, that shot sucked. That was terrible, you know, but it's funny because it's honest. And if you put 
five tour players in a room on a couch watching coverage. That's what they're saying. Right. You know, like that was a, that was a crappy swing or my God, look at that balance. Or, I mean, that's really what's being said, but on TV with the masses, you have to buffer it down so much. But I think if they really heard what, what other tour players were saying, you know, like a round table of, of like a major championship or even a regular tour event, people would die laughing at what just the tour players say about other tour players. You know, it's, yeah, get those guys and put like a twelve pack of beer in the middle of the table yep. and let them let them watch the the the, uh, the coverage. I would totally tune into watching that, especially guys who would be witty or funny about it, right? I, oh, I, totally. I mean, it would be great. And it's not a knock against it's not a knock against the regular network guys. It's just you've got to be so, you know, I, I think soft about anything you say that it's refreshing to hear people just being honest. Uh, other, you know, other your peers just saying like what they think. And it's not that they're, it's personal. It's just the golf shot. And it's like, you know, I, you know, like my guy, how do you hit it from that position? Or, you know, my, you know, stuff like just whatever, like that was awful. You know, it's just funny. I think, I mean, maybe that's the nastiness in me, but I'm just like, I just think it'd be, it'd be so funny to have that option to listen to your peers totally rip everybody <laughs> or i think the flip side would be interesting if somebody hit like the greatest shot they ever seen if you had five guys sitting around talking about it right they would go you know half shit crazy over like how great that was that would also Absolutely. be cool from, from those guys perspective of like my god i didn't see that one you know but at some different level than you normally see on tv i think there would also be the great stuff would be elevated to another level of having five former tour players sitting around, you know, talking about it openly. I think that'd be really cool too. So, yeah, because they recognize how hard a shot really is. I mean, you know, I think what the, one thing the the misconception the public uh, thinks watching on TV is they think, yeah, we're the best players in the world out there hitting. You know, say we're a seven iron in the fairway, but you know, to a back left pin. But maybe three holes prior, that guy had that same shot and he he flared it or he overhooked it. When that, that's still in his head. He's seen that. So, yeah, the shot, you know, if you're on a driving range, doesn't seem that hard. But circumstances dictate everything when you're, when you're playing golf on tour. And the wind direction or, you know, what happened 30 minutes prior affects every swing you make. And not everybody's better at tuning it out or focusing in like some of these major champions did. You know, Nick Fado and Greg Norman, those guys were so great at – and Jack Nick was at, at – thinking through the process of how to execute. But, you know, just because a guy hits a 25 feet with a seven iron doesn't mean that it wasn't a great shot. I mean, he, that might've been exactly what he's trying to do, but, you know, conversely, if he pulls off something amazing, if your peers know Mike, wow, that was a tough shot. Cause they, you know, have either had that shot in the past or had it earlier in the day. I think that's re- be really interesting. Cause I think a lot of times what we get on network coverage is just, kind of the lollipops and gumdrops assessment you know you know everything's great and everybody's the family's great and you know that they're they're they've had excuse me a great year and it's like you know maybe he's just playing shitty right now or maybe you know he's just hitting it like crap or you know i mean it's i don't know i guess that's just the realist and the honesty in me i just sometimes think you got to call you know you got to call it exactly how it is and if it's a crappy shot it's a crappy shot all right, well, when they ever do the Fox Part 2 and they put you at the table with a 12-pack of beer, I'm watching with three other funny guys. That would be – I am all in on that one. 
Hey, I think it'd be funny, yeah. Let's talk about your career. Four PGA Tour wins. Does does one of those stand out as your sort of marquee victory that when you look back on your playing days in the PGA Tour is sort of your your pinnacle or your apex of an accomplishment? Well, I don't want to discount any of them because, uh, you know, honestly, I I think I, you know, I do. It took me seven years to get on tour, so I would, you know, I was, I never knew if I was ever going to make it. But it, I mean, to me, the one that clearly stands out was Colonial in '04, um, um, just because of the golf course. That to me, like, is a perfect example of what I was talking that anybody can win at Colonial. Kenny Perry won the year before me and the year after me, 2003 and 2005 at Colonial. He and I could not have more different golf games. Kenny plays it way up in the air and hits it 30 yards farther than I do. I play it lower. I play rollerball. I joke. I, you know, I kind of around Colonial, I keep it down. So it's, you know, doesn't get above the trees. I kind of bend it through everything, but that's a perfect example of two totally different players that can win there. Phil won there. David Tom's won there. I mean, two totally different golf games, but, that golf course requires so much skill to get around it. And it's always windy. Um, that to me, and just because of who is, who have won there in the past, past, excuse me, that that's my marquee win. But my toughest win was my first win as, as most of them are in new Orleans when I beat Bob Estes in a playoff. But, um, you know, I feel fortunate that I won it all out there. Um, I, I have to give a ton of credit to Butch Harmon, who I worked with from basically 2003 to 2010, um, because he just taught me how to kind of own my own golf swing and play play my own game. I know those are cliches, but I never I never knew how to le- how to how to learn that or or play within myself. Kind of hate cliches, but there's another one. But um, you know, it's stuff you just got to learn and accept about about your own game and I never I was always trying to do stuff outside of my box to try and because I thought I had to to win but he taught me patience and just how to how to recognize what my flaws were and 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 how to correct them on a weekly basis and and manage manage when it was going bad because you know he he basically said you know everybody's got three flaws in your game uh you just have to realize what you know, what they are and then how to fix them during the round or manage them enough during the round where you don't turn 72 into 75 or 76. And that's what, that's what Butch taught me. It wasn't about, Hey, your swing isn't perfect. You've got to change this or change that. It was about managing, managing my misses enough to where if I got it going awry, one round didn't ruin my week. So it kept me in the game. And, uh, you know, he did that, and um, I don't think I ever would have won on tour without his help, but um, I still, even though I haven't worked with him for eight years now, I still, nine years, I still go back to those, you know, the three the three things that I always need to work on to make, things, to make my game at least manageable when I play tournament golf. So um, Colonial was easily my first or my biggest marquee win, and, I'm, it, you know, I'd still love to go back one more time and play Colonial before I'm totally not competitive, but it's always opposite our senior PGA. Um, so I'm going to have to make a concession. I know David Toms played last week uh, at Colonial instead of the senior PGA, and Kenny Perry uh, goes down there uh, still to play, but 
Colonial is a pretty special place. When you have Hogan and Trevino and and Nicholas and those kind of guys that have won there, it's pretty cool. As a former champion, do you have a spot there if you if you want it? I don't anymore. Uh, unfortunately, they changed that lifetime exemption in 2000 to five years. Um, so I'd have to ask for a spot. I know they gave David one this year because um, he kind of fell in the same category as me, and they give Tim Heron one each year. But um, I'm hoping they'd have a soft spot for me to keep come back i've only you know ironically of the i think 16 times i played colonial or 18 times i played colonial i only missed the cut one time in playing that tournament it was the year after i won i i mean i was just i just totally laid an egg the year after i won it wasn't the it wasn't the defending champion pressure or anything i just was playing so cruddy when i went there i was just like oh my god this is embarrassing and i shot like 78 71 or something and totally whiff the cut but that's the only time i've ever missed the cut there they give me four or five sponsor exemptions uh once i quit being uh, fully exempt on tour in like 2012 13 whatever and i made the cut each time so it's just a special place and you know it's one of those you know like i think with phil when you when he drives down magnolia lane and i'm certainly not paralleling myself to phil mickelson but i think he just kind of feels a sense of, of calm and, and comfort when he drives down Magnolia Lane. And, and mine is when I drive into, into Colonial in Fort Worth. I just, something about the place, everything just kind of comes together when I play Colonial. So it's, it's got a soft place in my heart. So, yeah, and I, it's a great golf, I mean, it's a great venue. It's the kind of golf course I could love to play. It's one of those courses where I think the members would love to play that golf course every day. Like I could totally see why people would want to join there and that's your home course, right? It's got everything. It is. So, yeah. You're right. It's different every day and, and you don't get tired of it. You know, to me like Beth page, I would quit the game if I had to play Beth page every day. You just feel like you're in it. You went 15 rounds with Tyson every time you walked off that course, but I agree, you know, colonial it's, it's fun every day. There's birdie chances. It's tough shots. You, you know, it's, 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 You've got to, you just got to hit creative shots around there and, and use your imagination. And if you hit a good shot, you're rewarded, and, and it's just fun to play. If you're going to play somewhere every day, that'd be a great one. And uh, follow up to the Butch thing, I was just, as you were going through working with him, and I've talked to quite a few guys who have, have worked with Butch. And do, do you, it sounds like is, it's as much psychology or explaining strategy or whatever it is in your own game as much as it is technically. Do you think he gets that because a lot of people don't realize this, or some do or some don't, but he won on tour. He's a former tour player. Like He not only has the knowledge base of golf swing, but he understands, I'm assuming when you talk to him, what it takes to compete and to win on, on, on the PGA Tour. So is he as much mental coach as he is, hey, let's get the position of this club a little bit different on your on your backswing? For example, it is, you know, Jason, I, I really like watching like, you know, the, the, uh, the streaming coverage of like, look at, uh, the master, they're on their masters app streaming coverage of the range, right? You can look at the guys on the driving range and Butch is working his way, you know, through Dustin Johnson or, you know, Jimmy Walker or how many times do you see guys standing with Butch laughing. It is constant. He knows how to loosen a guy up if he's hitting shanks, if he's hitting hooks. He knows how to loosen you up and, and, and take your mind off, not so much the seriousness of what's in front of you that day, but just like 
free you up to just make golf swings. And then I'll say, okay, let's work that club a little bit more left here. It's not, Hey, you got to keep that left wrist flat and then drop it down to position two here and then rotate hard. It's, it's never that with Butch. If, if you go to, to Butch to his teaching center in Vegas, he might say, okay, we're going to, you know, let's work on just squaring the club face up a little bit at the top and, and how you're going to do that. But it's never so technical that you got to be in the same, in this position. His is all about, you know, face angle path and how everybody individually works it that way. It's, you know, no two swings are alike, and Butch recognizes that as good as anyone in the game. But he gets you in a mindset where he just, he frees your mind up to where you're not technical, and he allows your athleticism to just go. And he says, okay, let's just, you know, show me a high cut. How are you going to do that? He makes you think about it mentally, like, and do it athletically, to where you just perform and hit it and make it work rather than, you know, the position you got to be in. He talks about just like which, you know, where your balance is or, or your finished position or how to work the club a certain way. It's never technical. And then he, then the next swing there, he throws another joke at you or he makes a comment about somebody on the range or, you know, he talks about something he did in the past. It's, you go to that tee, he gets, he's the guy, he's the coach who, when you run to that, you go to that first tee, you run through a wall for him because he's just got you in that, like, like no matter what I have, it's going to be good enough to compete with these guys today. And that's really all it is. It's a mindset. And then he's already, when you've worked with him in the, in the past, he's already taught you like how to recognize, like, you know, I always, like one of my things was I got to make sure I don't get outside my left foot and keep my left knee stable. You know, because I kind of, in my backswing, my left leg tends to kind of float a little bit and my balance gets a little off. So I can recognize that. So, but that's really as technical as it gets. Like, okay, just, you know, brace against my left knee. And if I notice that I'm doing that or my caddy says, hey, you're getting outside your left foot, I, I know what my, what my fix is for that. So I know my, I mean, really, truly, everybody's got three things at the tour level that kind of go awry. Because your body always falls back into them, whether you're tired or whether you're, you know, your shoulder hurts or something's going on, you're you're always going to fall into three traps, really. And he knows how to how to get you to fix those. But when you're when you're getting ready to go play, you know, around at Augusta National, he wants you to not be thinking of any of that. He wants you to go to the first tee thinking how you're going to get around that golf course and visualize your shots not how you're going to hit them, not, not what swing thought's going to be the key. He, you might be, you might have one, but he just gets you like ready to go mentally and free. He gets you freed up to, you, you know, if you both know that you're hitting it like shit, he'll start telling jokes just to get your mind off of it. You know, I mean, you both probably know, Hey, this isn't going to be my week, but he gets you in a mindset where like, I'm going to have fun, you know, going out there and playing like crap. You know, it's just, it's just a different way. It's not so technical. He doesn't have the camera. When's the last time you saw Butch using his phone or a track man out there? Never. He does that away from the golf course. When you're when you're getting ready to play a golf tournament, he's getting you in the mode how to play, not how to swing. And I just think that's what his biggest attribute. You know, it it it. When's the last time a guy left Butch Harmon because he said it didn't work? He it wasn't working for him. You know, that's, it, that's, that's never happened. Yeah, and every guy I talk to seems like they have these lessons for life 
you know, beyond yep. even their scope, they're working. I've talked to Kelk about this, you know, think about different golf swings, you know, Kelk's golf swing to Ricky Fowler. Yet, you know, Kelk said he, you know, it still goes back to what Butch taught and worked with him, right? It's, yeah. He, 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 he really is, I don't know, I think he's got to be the best out there to get the most out of every player with all these different types of players he's worked with. There's, there's something to that recipe because once they're, once they work with Butch, to me, it seems like they're a better, more complete player. It's it's true. It's it's. Hey, I'm not saying if you went to any other instructor, they couldn't identify my three flaws. I mean, I, I guarantee all those guys could identify what three things always go wrong with my swing. But a lot of it is too. When you're when you're 30 minutes from your tee time and and crap's going awry and 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 it's a yard your swing's a yard sale on the range and you don't know what's working. He knows how to focus you in to where only one thing matters, you know, how to, how to hit, you know, Hey, we're going to go with it left to right today, no matter what. Or, or, you know, he always said to me, like, like how far down in my bag can we go to where I can aim it at the pin? You know, like some weeks, you know, no matter where the, you know, just say the, just say, uh, just use, Number 12 at, at Augusta is a perfect example. Yeah, everybody, you know, says to the right pin, you can't aim over there to the right. But, like, if that's just a normal hole in a golf tournament, he might say, okay, today let's go down to a nine iron. That means, you know, no matter what pin there is on the course out there, I can take a nine iron right at it. Now, when I get to eight or seven or six, I need to go more fat side of the green. Don't ever aim a seven iron right at it or a six iron. You know, like, he knows, like, like, he kind of bases your level of confidence for you. Um, you know, he always thinks that short iron game and right at the hole, but you know, some days you're swinging so good. He just says, go right at it. You know, seven iron, we're going right at it today with everything, but he's realistic and honest. And it helps you realize like, Oh, you know, you got another guy in your corner who is giving you a fair assessment of where you are. And that, to me, that always gave me confidence. Like, you know, I don't think he ever told me like, seven six five iron baby we're ripping it right at it that you know i i never was that kind of player comfortable doing it but you know i think that's one of the things he he helped tiger woods learn too early in his career when tiger worked for him tiger always played off the middle of the green like nicholas did you know they let everybody else make the mistakes they weren't aiming two irons at at pins cut in the corners you know he just he just he assesses your ability and he just gives you the confidence to know like hey today if we get a seven iron let's just give it a little extra, let's just give it a little extra room five feet toward the middle of the green or something. You know, let's not, let's not try and stuff, you know, seven irons and six irons today. When you get nine iron, baby, go right at it, you know, but um, it, it's just, you always feel like you got a guy who's just insanely confident in you and assesses your, your, where your game stands each day. And I think it just helps you go to the first tee, just feeling like you got this. And that's really the, to me, that's the best thing a coach can do, can can do for you is make you feel like every time you're getting ready to tee it up in a golf tournament that hey, today's your day, and 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 you make you make you make it happen. Uh, equipment question for you: You and I, uh, we play the same golf ball, the uh, Srix on Z Star, with the uh, the new model they have out there, which is kind of a continuation of what they're building upon. Uh, which model of the Z Stars are you playing, and? From an equipment standpoint, what's that new ball doing for you? Um, I, like I said, I've, I think it's fantastic. I play the XV, um, long, 
bites. I mean, it's such a good product. Um, you know, how do you work with Srixon with that stuff? And then what model, like I said, are you gaming at this point in the season? I am using the XV. Um, and I use the XV because I think it, you know, this, I, I get great speed with it off the tee, off the driver. It goes a long way. But I use it, too, because it launches higher for me. I'm not the highest of uh, ball hitters. Uh, especially off the tee, and it gives me a little higher launch. Um, but I think both models go through the wind better than any other ball on the market, uh, and that's that's one reason why I switched to it in 07. Um, uh, I just I've always thought Strixon's been a great ball in the wind, but um, feel wise, it's definitely firmer and clickier. Um, the rate the Z Star, uh, which has the black number on it, to me. Um, feels quite a bit softer and it feels better chipping to me, but I get a better flight with, uh, the XV because I like that higher launch, but both, both of them are great in the wind. I just, I want all the speed I can get. And I think that XV, uh, you know, it's a little, it's, you know, it's around a hundred compression and I think it just pops off the driver and stays in the air well for me. And, and I like a, I like a clickier sound because sound is so much feel, uh, in the game, especially putting. And it's a little louder when you putt that ball too. It's a little more clicky. And that to me just helps me with my feel, but, uh, both balls are great. The XV just fits my game better. Last few I have here for you are just sort of quick hitters. So I'll throw them at you and and let me know what you got. Um, you're going to take three guys out from the champions tour. You guys are going to, Play some golf, gamble, have a nice dinner afterwards. Who are you taking out, and which what makes those guys just so much fun to hang out with? Well, I got to take my two practice round guys that I play every Tuesday with uh, from the PGA Tour days. Tuesday morning at seven thirty, we play to even we play Tuesday mornings now on the Champ Tour. I got to take Paul Goyos and Kevin Sutherland. Um, Kevin Sutherland because he laughs at everything, um, even if it isn't funny. Kevin Kevin will laugh. Uh, so he's always a good time to be around. Um, and Paul Goidos is the other guy because Paul, Paul's annoying actually to be around. Um, even though he's one of my best buddies, he's the guy who it doesn't matter what the topic of discussion is. He can argue both sides of the story effectively to where you start doubting your line of thinking. So Paul's actually um, got Kevin with him every Tuesday because anyone else would quit after nine holes playing with Paul. With and Mr. Sunshine, I just, right? Yeah, exactly. You tell me he's, he's an annoying guy to be around, but he's so fun because with he and Kevin, and then our caddies. You know, Kevin's caddy is Billy Lewis, who was the best man at my wedding uh, years ago, and and we've been best friends since high school, and he caddied for me for years, and and he's. He's easy to pick on, you know, all the time. And, and Paul's caddy, Chris Mazziotti, is a great guy. So I got to take those two. Uh, one more um, from the Champ Tour. Let's see. Man, there's so many. There's so fun guys out there. Um, some of the guys are a little too serious. We got to have a guy who's not serious about anything. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe Billy Andre. He's got great stories, and he's a good storyteller, good joke teller. So I'd take I'd take Billy Andre as well because he's got Ziggy, 
his caddy has been with him for years. There'd be a lot of laughing and that's really all I care about. When I, I hate practice rounds on Tuesday and that's the reason we play together because we tell the same stories over and over. They're just as dumb, but they're just as funny. And we laugh really from the time we get to breakfast to the time we eat lunch afterwards. So I'll go with Billy, Paul Goidos and Kevin Sullivan. That'd be a good day. If you could win only one major on the champions tour, which event would it be? Uh, U.S. Senior Open. I, I think winning any of your national opens would be pretty special. And, and to say you're a U.S. Open winner um, would be pretty cool. So, you know, I'm a proud American, and I'd love to win my national open. Best golf shot you ever hit under pressure, and is there a golf shot a competitor hit under pressure that you were with that blew you away as well of how good it was under the circumstances? Best shot I ever hit was the four iron um, to, hit, to win my first tour event uh, at English Turn in 2003 uh, when, when I was in the playoff with Bob Estes. I had a four iron with a left to right win to a back left pin. And ironically, I had been working with Butch on that very shot um, for weeks um, beforehand. It's just like a hold four iron. And to me, I never could get the left pins. I had so many chances to have high finishes or play well in tournaments, but I never could hit a cut shot. Everything uh, was a draw for me. Uh, a cut, what I thought was a cut was actually just a straight ball because it wasn't starting in the window where it was hooking. But um, anyway, I just I, my thought process for the week was take it inside and feel like I was just kind of a hair over the top to work my path to the right a little bit better. Uh, that's left-handed for everyone out there, but uh, um, and that helped hold the face a little bit and work the ball to the left pin. And I I pulled it off with a four iron in that playoff and eventually made a 35 footer um, after that shot to win. But the shot I, that competitor hit the same week I was playing actually was uh, the Canadian Open Tiger six iron uh, to beat Grant Waite on 18 out of the fairway bunker to that back right pin. I mean. I can tell you he's lying if he says he ever was aiming over there. But uh, um, that shot, to me, just, it's nuts. It's over all that water. You never know your, how your contact's going to be perfectly out of a fairway bunker, how your fitting's going to be, how clean you're going to catch it. That shot's just crazy. And the fact that I played that hole earlier that day was insane to see. So that, to me, is uh Probably easily the best. I mean, yeah, honestly, I could name about five shots Tigers hit that have that have just blown me away. But that one was uh, in- insane. Yeah, I remember watching that live on the coverage, and it was that's the you know especially a six iron with that old golf ball. I mean, to carry yep. it that far out of the trap to that, I mean, that was in, that's the best golf shot I think I've ever seen personally. Yeah. Like from just as a viewer watching it, insane. Uh, that's why he's the goat. Um, yep. Best two or three golf courses in the world architecturally, and in, in what makes those golf courses so spectacular? Um, architecturally, um, I actually think I, uh, you know, I would go with Pebble Beach for one, um, because there's so much. It's not deception, but there's so much placed on shot value and angles into the green, and and how you actually have to shape your shot to hold those greens, uh, where where you can't miss it to really even get it up and down. So. Uh, Pebble Beach, um, I haven't played, I haven't played much in Europe and, and I know I'm, I, so I have to kind of throw, 
I mean, I love St. Andrews, um, but architecturally, I don't know if anybody would say that's one of the best ever. Um, I'll just stick with the States because I don't know much worldwide. Uh, Shinnecock, I love. Uh, same thing. Uh, a couple of the greatest holes I've ever played at Shinnecock. I, and, and I'll go with Riviera as well. Always been a fan, or a big favorite of Riviera. Best course we played uh, uh, for years um, on tour. One of them, top three easily. And I always love playing there. So um, Riviera was always special to me. Same kind of thing. Shot values were high. Greens, were, it was tough to get the ball close on those holes. Yeah, it's always up on the list of best golf courses in the states, right? Good players yeah. recognize how good that architecture is at at Riviera, right? It's when I yeah. ask that question, that's one that's commonly answered of guys who play the tour, and it's supposed to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, final one I have for you: Has your son Griffin beat you yet from the tips, or or does the old man still own the record? Well, he's beaten me in like nine hole matches and whatnot, uh, but. Uh, no, I, for an 18 hole round, he hasn't, but I don't think it's going to be long. He's playing better. We're kind of, we're kind of reconstructing his game a little bit right now. So, uh, we're trying to just, uh, kind of tighten his, uh, window a little bit of, of where his misses are, but he's, he's getting better. I look for him to beat me, uh, sometime soon, but right now we're in a little bit of a reconstruction process. It is, can, can dad coach? You know, or is it one of those things where it's because I see this with my son. My my oldest is only nine. That he doesn't really want to hear it from dad, but yet our golf pro at our club, I can tell him the same thing, and pro can tell him the same thing. And when the pro tells him, it's different. As as Griffin's gotten, you know, older, does he kind of now listen to you a little bit more of your knowledge base and what you have, you know, upstairs is pretty deep of kind of letting you help him out a little bit more. I can't say I'm the best coach, honestly. I mean. I kind of know what needs to happen, but the process of getting there, I can't say I'm great at. Um, you know, I know like I know his hands are too high at impact and his club's a little across the line, but how to really fix all that in 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 the motion, I'm not great at. Where some some instructors say, "Hey, do this drill for you know a week, and and everything will kind of fall into place." I actually stink at that. I just kind of know like what needs to happen in the end game but not how to get there. Um, Griffin is listening to me more now. That doesn't mean that like if I go to the range with him, you know, I was just out with the range with on the range with him a couple of days ago. And I say, you got to do this. If, if I give him a nugget of something to work on, it's still better work on the first ball. Or he's going to look at me and say, that ain't going to work. You know, I mean, it, and for years I've been beating my head against the wall, trying to, trying to like teach him, when he'll go get a lesson from somebody, they'll tell him the exact same thing. And he he thinks like, that's the answer. And I'm like, I've been telling you that for four years, you know, or I told you that five years ago, you need to be doing that. But for some reason, the fact that he paid for that lesson, it it's worth more to him. I've been, I'm like, dude, I give you this stuff for free, but uh, it's frustrating. I would, I would, unless it, the you're a very patient, and bulletproof parent, I wouldn't try and teach my ch- my children ever again <laughs> in golf. It's easier just to pay the pro and let them deal with the aggravation. I'm a thousand. I can see this happening in my own life already. Like uh, my little guy who's who's seven, you know, we just work on grip and then let him hit it hard. But as as my oldest Jack starts to get a little bit more interest in it, yeah, we're gonna 
we're we're just going to let our pro handle the situation because I can already see the you know father son conflict coming on exactly this didn't work and I'm going to go back to my way of doing it so I well think there's I'm a lot of stubbornness in the youth yeah yeah I yeah. I would recommend deflecting that off to someone because it, yeah, as a parent you're so emotionally invested like you want it so bad for your child to succeed and and play well and when it doesn't you, you you get anxiety they get anxiety before you know it, you're butting heads and and griffin and i kind of have the same personality where we're not afraid to just speak our mind and and uh you know it's i would never trade anything in the world for just the time we spend by ourselves on the practice tee together but at the same time like you know he's had a harder time grasping some of the stuff i've told him so um you know maybe that just means i suck as a teacher but uh um, I, I, I would rather let a pro kind of, I would just place it in their hands and, and let him go to work with them. Yeah. Safer bet for everybody. Well, thank yeah. you so much for uh, the time today. Uh, good luck in Des Moines. Um, hope it dries out and you guys have a good tournament and, uh, we'll look forward to watching you on the U S open coverage and, uh, safe travels, uh, over to Japan. And like I said, I really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Jason, what a great time. Thanks for having me.